Hi folks, I'm Alan Watts and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 26th of September 2011. For newcomers, look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com and help yourself to the free audios which are there for download. Remember too, all the sites listed on the com site are the, the authentic or original and authorized sites. They carry transcripts as well as audios of a lot of the talks that I've given in English and go into alanwattsentinel.eu for transcripts in other languages. And remember too, you're the audience that bring me to you. I don't bring on advertisers as guests who will terrify you and then sell you something. So this gives me more leeway to do what I have to do. The answer here in this show are paid directly to RBN for their broadcast time. And this pays for the, the the broadcast, it pays for the staff and equipment, hopefully a few of their bills as well, because we all get the bills coming in. So help me with mine and buy the books and discs that I've got uh, up in CuttingThroughTheMetrics.com. You'll find out how to do it on the site. Remember, from the U.S. to Canada, you can still use personal checks. You can also use an international postal money order from the post office. Some people send cash, and you can also use PayPal. There's a button on the com site, use that and follow it with an email, name, address, and order. Again, the details are on the site, so you'll know how to do it. Across the, the world, you've got Western Union, MoneyGram, and once again, PayPal. Remember, straight donations as well are really, really welcome as we go into this uh, inflationary, we're already in inflationary period, as a devalue everything, but it's all, it's all part of the big plan because, you see, you're getting taught that you're going, you're going global. You are global, you see. And it's bad enough that you worry about your own little local area. That's how it used to be. And then, of course, the, the nation was next. Now it's internet. We're supposed to worry about them across the world not having any jobs. And that's part of your training. We saw it all coming on with the planned financial crash with the big stock market bubbles, like no one noticed up until then, of course, which is all nonsense. Uh, they all knew at the top what they were doing, so did the governments as well. Because, you see, you need crisis to bring in a global society. And you need crisis to get everyone on their knees. So we turn to governments and say, please help us. And they blow the dust off the old scrolls that they drafted maybe 40 years ago and say, here we are. We have all the answers here. Now go back to sleep and be happy and play yourselves. And that's pretty well how it's done. Uh, it's absolute nonsense to say that no one could foresee the stock market crashing. It didn't have to either because, you see, it's always been a con game. And every government has been propping up their top uh, companies in the stock market for oh since the end of World War II. And, of course, I think it was Greenspan, oh, it was the one that took over after him, who said right off the bat, he says he wasn't going to do it anymore with the U.S. So that, mean, that, was, a, that was a green light for crashing the market, obviously. And so here we are going through it, and the answers are all global. Nothing to do with your local or national, but it's all global now. And the news is full of their stories, you know, stories, like his stories, he tells you his story, and that's what these authorized CFR journalists are supposed to do, tell you his story, which all goes along with the, the, 
the necessity for going global and handing all power over to a super government because, you see, we're all interdependent now. And if a butterfly sneezes in in Hong Kong, it's going to affect you all across the world. You know, the butterfly effect. And so that's what we're getting taught. Uh, It's all training, you see. It's like wars, too. Wars are meant really to, apart from plundering for the elites, they're meant to change society on both sides. It's an old tactic. So this is a sort of financial war to train you for the new ways. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I am back, cutting through the matrix, and just talking about internationalism, how you're all being taught that uh, to, to glue yourselves to the televisions and listen about internationalism, interdependence, global economy, all of this kind of stuff. And it's it's not really surprising. As I say, they, they could have kept the bubbles in the stock market going forever, another 40, 50 years if they wanted to, because it was always a con. And uh, it was just decided that this is the time to pull it all and bring us all into austerity because, you see, they'd written about austerity 20 years before that. And the Club of Rome also was talking about austerity, needing to bring the world into austerity and post-consumerism as far back as the 60s and 70s. So, you see, you're just going through a big long-term plan as you get taught to be austere, you see. And that means you leave nothing on your plates and you lick it after you're finished and uh, you cut back on what's left for the dog. That's basically austerity. So, anyway... Uh, here's an article here as an example, and uh, it's from a British paper. You think we talk about the, the jobs in Britain? No, no, no. It says, International Labour Organisation said the group of developing and developed nations had seen 20 million jobs disappear since the financial crisis in 2008. It's, it's amazing. None of them really noticed that the millions of jobs that are going to China f- from the 70s and 80s and speeding up right through the 90s. You know, they never noticed that at all. Anyway, International Labour Organization Director General Juan Somavia, he says we must act now to reverse the slowdown in employment growth. And uh, he says the world's major economies are heading for a massive jobs shortfall. What was a short? Does that mean there's a long fall? You think it would? It's, it's, you know, all the new terms that they use, but they like that in socialism. Lots of new terminology, and you learn it all like a dictionary. So it's a shortfall now. And it says that by the end of the year, if governments do not change their tack on policy, International Labour Association organization said in a study published Monday in a report prepared with the OECD for the G20 Labour Ministries. By the way, the OECD, every government has a department that you've been paying for since World War II under the United Nations, and, and they always appoint somebody, a politician, towards the head of the OECD, Overseas Economic uh, something Department, and it's to give out cash to third world countries, uh, but it's actually going to international corporations. And the person who generally they appoint to be in head of handing out this cash also is in charge of the IMF for your own country, by the way. So they borrow from the World Bank, and then, and then they give to these countries, and then they, they get it back, uh, they pay it back to the IMF. If you didn't know, what, what a deal, eh? What a deal. You think with spies everywhere, they, they implant them in charters and put them right in your, in your federal governments. It's like mandatory charity for corporations, because that's where it goes. It doesn't go to the third world, and it goes to the factories in the third world that are owned by a few guys elsewhere. Anyway, it says a group of developing and developed nations have seen 20 million jobs disappear since the financial crisis in 2008. 
At current rates, it would be impossible to recover them in the near term, and there was a risk of the number doubling by the end of the year, it says. So be scared, folks. It's telling, be, be very scared. Do you understand? It's out of your politicians' hands now. It's obviously a global problem, and they're going to come forward through United Nations with new global strategies for you, and you'll breathe a sigh of relief, eh? So we must act now to reverse the slowdown, etc., etc. Employment creation has to become a top macroeconomic priority. It doesn't say proactive here. They all, they all say proactive until you're so sick of hearing proactive. He doesn't use that one here. Anyway, the thing is, you're supposed to be terribly frightened and uh, it's supposed to really scare you and to make you realize we are truly interdependent, you see. The number of people in the work in the G20 has risen by 1% since 2010, but 1.3 annual growth is needed to return up pre-crisis employment levels by 2015, the ILO said. However, employment growth of less than 1% cannot be... They love percentages too, socialism. You have to read the stories that were put up. And, and, and the, the bureaucraties speak. It was invented by Sidney Webb at the Fabian Society. Anyway, it says, given the slowdown of the world economy and anemic growth foreseen in several G20 countries. Now, we're being told, on the one hand, to be austere and not to buy so much. On the other hand, they're, they're, they're panicking, they're telling us they're panicking because we're not buying enough and working enough and buying enough, you see. I mean, you can't win here, can you? It says, should employment grow at a rate of 0.8% until... Why do I always have to grow? Why does employment always have to grow? It's not employment that really has to grow, they say. You see, it's, it's, the, it's the, the cash that gets handed out to the shareholders at the end of every year that own the big corporations in the bank. That's what they talk about when they mean growth factors. That's what they're talking about. They expect more and more returns all the time. There's only two ways you can do it, you know, and, and one is either laying off workers and trying to maximize the profit. As I say, I just learned that one awfully good, they maximize the profit, and, or move somewhere else with even cheaper labor, or, or cut back on what you're, what you're selling, make it nice and shiny, but a piece of junk in reality like the stuff we buy today. That, that's how they do it. See, greed runs the whole system. Anyway, there's now a distinct possibility that then the shortfall in employment would be increased by some 20 million to a total of 40 million in the G20 countries, and pigs might fly. India and China, the world's most populous countries, are both laggards with less than 1% annual growth in total employment. So we're supposed to all race to get this annual growth stuff, you see. That, that's the whole point of it. And we're supposed to compete with China and in different parts of Asia and elsewhere. We're supposed to compete with them where you can live on a couple of bucks a month. However, the report was based on figures both countries that were not up to date. China's job growth of 0.7 was for 2009, while India's 0.4 was average annual change between 2045 and 2009 to 2010. So anyway, that's, that's how they talk in their bureaucraties and percentages from the Department of Information, as George Orwell would, would say. Meanwhile, uh, as a cut back and cut back and cut back for austerity, you see, and to pay the big bankers that are still getting their bonuses, the guys that crashed us all and then got a reward for doing so, it's quite an interesting world we live in. Breadline Scotland, thousands of families to be given food handouts because they can no longer make ends meet. Uh, so they're learning very quickly to be austere. So thousands of Scots are to get food handouts. Job centres have been told to send desperate families to charity food banks and they cut their benefits as well, unemployment, welfare and all the rest of it, while the rising living costs mean an increasing number of Scots can't afford to put food on the table. Well, they're learning to be austere very quickly, uh, that's for sure. And it's quite amazing. The article's on the same kind of thing. There's an article here from the International Monetary Fund 
and the community of the 24th meeting of the IMFC, or, or C, uh, yeah, is FC, Collective Action for Global Recovery. Collective, you see, you know, that, that collective thing like that for communism, we're all a collective. It's a world collective, you see. And it says, uh, it's chaired by Mr. Tharman, and I won't even try to pronounce it, Sharmugaratnam, Sharmugaratnam, Deputy Prime Minister of Singapore, listen, and Minister of Finance, Washington, D.C. Did you know that? So he's a Prime Minister of Singapore and Minister for Finance, Washington, D.C. Isn't that internationally? It says the global economy has entered a dangerous phase calling for exceptional vigilance. So we can all watch it and go, oh, oh dear, you know. Coordination and readiness to take bold action, bold, I like that too, from members of the International Monetary Fund alike. It says we're encouraged by the determination of our Euro area colleagues, so Euro area, <laughs> to do what is needed to resolve the Euro area crisis. They just stayed with their nations, you see. And you, and you looked after the ones that you can, that's the ones running about you, and that's as far as you can go. Once you cross the water, forget it. And we welcome, we welcome that the International Monetary Fund stands ready to strongly support this effort as part of its global role. Now, who gave it this, this right to have a global role in the first place? It's not a charity, the IMF. It's one of the biggest money grabbers and land grabbers on the planet. Using usury, you see, and compound interest. That's, they've done it all across the third world countries. They come into every other, they were in Britain when Thatcher was there at the IMF, and they dictate the policies. And the first thing they do is slash your health care, and then they slash your pensions and everything else, slash, 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 so they can get their big fat uh, loans back, paid back with massive interest. And if they can't do that, they grab your land like they're doing in Africa, under the, this, this great private organization, the International Monetary Fund, and the World Bank, you see, private again under that wonderful United Nations with that strange blue and white familiar colors. You know. Anyway, it says, Today we agreed to act decisively to tackle the dangers confronting the global economy. These include sovereign debt risks, oh wow, financial system fragility, weakening economic growth and high unemployment. Our circumstances vary, but our economies and financial systems are closely interlinked. We will therefore act collectively to restore confidence and financial stability and rekindle global growth. Remember that, that uh, the Bretton Woods Agreement uh, was set up by Keynes, and Keynes was like the guru for finance, the, the guy who came in with, oh, it doesn't matter, you don't need any, any money to back your money, just print it. And I keep boring. Boring is good, and debt is good, apparently, according to the theory we've been living in since then. But he said that it was Bretton Woods Part 1 would give us this type, and then, and then, I, then we'd, we'd move on to the next type, and that was the global economy, and the IMF would, would rise up to its proper role, the International Monetary Fund, the biggest lender uh, that's out there, and uh, they would be running the world. So this is you're living through something that was planned years ago. This is Bretton Woods Part 2. That's what Keynes called it. He said he wouldn't live to, to see it, to see it years down the road, and he died, and here we are, at, right on cue, going into the global system where the IMF will do all your bookkeeping and, and the World Bank will lend out and, and the strong man the IMF will come back and plunder you with lots of usury. Anyway, the advanced economies are at the, the core of an effective resolution of current global stresses, and the strategy is to restore sustainable public finances while ensuring continued economic recovery. What does that mean? Taking into account different national circumstances, advanced economies will adopt policies to build confidence and support growth and implement clear, credible and specific measures to achieve fiscal consolidation. Consolidation, eh? 
Euro-area countries will do whatever is necessary to resolve the Euro-area sovereign debt crisis and ensure the financial stability of the Euro-area as a whole and its member states. This includes implementing the Euro-area leaders' decision of July 21st. See, they have leaders over there. It's all hush-hush. And it's a new Soviet, really. You don't vote them in, the leaders, you know. And we're supposed to just take this for normal. Do you understand that? Do you understand we've lost everything? We're run by, basically, private clubs. That's what we're run by, private clubs that we don't elect. They won't even tell us who all the top people are in these super governments. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back cutting through the matrix, just giving you a little bureaucraties where you hear these chaps talking about such rubbish. And really all it is is rubbish because uh, there's no policies here at all. But this uh, particular guy from, from Singapore, as I say, who, who's, uh, is giving a big, big speech at the communique of the 24th meeting of the IMFC. You didn't know you had all these organizations out there. And luckily they're, they're there to take care of us apparently, you know. Anyway, they're all private clubs. But anyway, it says here, advanced economies will ensure that banks have strong capital positions and that's almost like a, something like a war, you know, you, you put bunkers and sandbags around them. Strong capital positions and access to adequate funding. Uh, so who's going to give them that adequate funding? Well, we're doing it all the time. Maintain accommodative monetary policies as long as this is consistent with price stability. What does that mean? Right? Bearing in mind that international spillovers, spillover, what's a spillover, eh? Revive weak housing markets and repair household balance sheets. They're, all, they're going to do all that for us, eh? Yeah, that's amazing. And undertake structural reforms to boost jobs. When, when does government ever create jobs? Do you understand that? When did they, they're the biggest impediment to job creation on the planet. With their rules and regulations and, and the environmentalists and the two now and all the rest of it and yada yada yada. Never mind all the costs and engineers coming out and inspect your place of work and all this kind of stuff. It's just incredible. Before you could even start doing anything, you had to pay thousands and thousands of bucks out. So much for small businesses, eh? Emerging market and developing economies which have displayed remarkable stability. Well, no wonder. Because, you see, they've got the field all to themselves, especially when they're using American and European factories over in China. That we all paid to get transplanted over there under the World Trade Organization. Isn't that wonderful? Anyway, they're, they're doing pretty good. Isn't that great? And also key to an effective global response. The strategy is to adjust macroeconomic policies where needed to rebuild policy buffers. A policy buffer is a bureaucrat with another bureaucrat, an inferior one, and an inferior one takes a heat if it goes all wrong. And we contain overheating and enhance resilience in the face of volatile capital flows. I guess the money just burns up and goes to money heaven. Okay. Surplus economies will continue to implement structural reforms to strengthen domestic demand. What does that mean? Supported by, it means nothing actually, because governments do nothing except taxing you to death. Anyway, fostering inclusive growth and creating jobs are priorities for all of us. So there you are, he hasn't told us one darn thing that's going to create any jobs, because they've done all the damage they can possibly, well almost all the damage, I shouldn't say all the damage, I'm sure they've got some more tricks up their sleeves, but it's all, it's all global now, you see. And even Canada gets in there. Canada's central bank governor, Mark Kearney, 
uh, talks with India's central bank governor, Duvuri Sabaru. By the way, this, this is quite interesting because, you see, we don't really have a... They're all private banks, these central banks. You understand now the central banks are talking to guys from other central banks. The whole British Empire was based on this, first with the Rothschilds and then with all Rothschilds relatives across the world uh, manning the central banks where they get you out in debt and stuff. And then prime ministers go and borrow money, cap in hand, you know. Uh, and, of course, massive interest rates. But anyway, even Canada's central bank governor uh, talks with India's central bank governor, Devuri Sabaro, as they gather for a group photo. Isn't that nice? Generally, they get new, we pay for their new clothes for the photographs, sometimes leather jackets and that if they're into some sadomasochism, because they, they, lay, they lay that on for them, you know, when these international monetary guys, when they come to Canada and elsewhere. We pay for all that. Anyway, with other international monetary fund governors, during the World Bank, the IMF annual meetings in Washington. That's where the guy from Singapore is here, you see. They're having it in Washington. And it says, uh, Bank of Canada, Mark Carney and Saudi Press Europe to dramatically boost the size of its financial bailout funds to 1 trillion euros. That's what they're firing with a cannon in this black hole. It's like a science fiction thing. If they can keep throwing money at it, I mean, I might plug it. And I might, I might not, you see. But this is a whole, this is the best you can do with all these top economists and just keep throwing money into this black hole. We don't know where it goes and who gets a hold of it. They won't tell us. Who's on the side of the black hole? We don't know. But anyway, somebody's getting it all, obviously. But they just keep throwing your money and getting the folk into more and more poverty as you tax and tax and tax and we pay for it. Because that's the ammunition is the tax money, you see. Just, just build it up and fire it all. Empty the magazine into this black hole and then go back for another load and that's it. Anyway, that's what they're doing. That's the best of the experts on the planet. They're all trying to save us by, by bringing us into poverty. Makes a lot of sense. Anyway, to keep troubled banks afloat and forestall calamitous defaults and debt-ridden nations, because we're all in it together, you know. That's totalitarianism. You always see that slogan, we're all in it together when there's war going on. Speaking in Washington at a weekend meeting of the International Monetary Fund, Carney warned that a failure to overwhelm the debt crisis with a massive rescue package could have serious consequences for the stability of the global economy. Well, they said that when they threw the first bailout to them, and, and the second, the third, and the fourth, and, and ad nauseum. But they want a trillion now. We'll try a trillion. Maybe a trillion will plug it. There's a need for a comprehensive resolution of this issue, the European, as you currently said, in a round table, around, well, there are round tables at the, this, this big organization, you see. It's all run by the Royal Institute of International Affairs, who set up the whole system. With Canadian reporters, in the absence of effective resolution, is that word again, resolution, of that one could expect a deteriorating, deterioration in financial conditions globally, and that would have spillover effects on the major economies, including Canada. And we're all in it together, folks. If one goes down, we'll all start to get dragged to the bottom. Canadian Finance Minister Jim Flaherty have been in the U.S. capital for a series of meetings aimed at persuading Eurozone nations to take bolder steps to stave off a debt default in Greece and limit the risk of contagion to other heavily indebted nations like Italy. Wasn't it nice before you had this big Euro super Soviet where you just worried about your own country? Uh, wasn't it better that way, you know? At least you could yell at the politicians who weren't too far away. Now they're way across the water somewhere. It's, it's like another planet. And that's the idea of it, of course. Centralized. Centralization, that's what Karl Marx said. That's what they've done. Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth.
Hi, we're back and cutting through the matrix. And uh, he's in another article too. I'll put this, this link up tonight. All these links I'll put up tonight at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. But there's one, it's a video. I only saw a little bit of it because I get censored and, and punished if I use more than 10 megs all at once. Anyway, it says a trader on the BBC says Eurozone market will crash. Uh, so it's quite interesting. You see this woman on the BBC kind of speechless as this guy, top uh, top trader, says the market's uh, uh, absolute mess. He says it's going to crash. Anyway, nothing's going to stop it. So anyway, I'll put that up just to, just to make you feel better and sleep better at the end of the night. And... It's just amazing. It's amazing, really, all the articles that you just sit and, sit and read one after another here. But here's one here, and it's about the United Nations, this wonderful organization that was set up to be the super, the super world Soviet with its three sub-Soviets beneath it. That's the European Union, the Americas, and, of course, the Far East uh, Pacific Rim uh, region. And uh, exactly as Karl Marx said. But anyway, uh, healing the planet and the quest for United Nations global warming hoax credits, because it's all hoaxes, of course, uh, were Ugandan people beaten and their houses burned down. Now, I've read articles here where the big boys themselves and all the big charities to do with the, the climate change, etc., and big organizations and private corporations are buying massive tracts of farming land in Africa. And, of course, here's what they're doing uh, to get the, the warming hoax credits. And you've got to hand it to the Africans because if they, if they see a little chink in some, something coming their way, they'll get in there and get the cash, you know. They've had a lot, long, long history of doing that for survival. Anyway, and it's always the most the psychopathic types that grab it first, of course, and see it. But it's in Kukula, Uganda. According to the company's proposal to join a United Nations clean air program, the settlers living in this area left in a peaceful and voluntary manner. It says, uh, the people here remember it quite differently. And I've seen a video of this a while back because the United Nations now, uh, because of all these carbon tax credits and everything else, they've got green police there. Guys dressed in green uniforms given by the United Nations and big, big sticks. And they go in and beat the people off the land. That's our wonderful United Nations and all these greenies that are out there, eh? They're so concerned about the planet. Anyway, it says, I heard people being beaten, so I ran outside, said Emmanuel uh, Siyayima, 33. The houses were being burnt down. Other villages described gun-toting soldiers and an eight-year-old child burning to death when his home was set ablaze by security officers. That's kind of like the Scottish clearances, too. They used to burn the people in their homes to get the land. And the last one was done in 1948, by the way, for those who thought it was a long time ago. But in this case, the government and the company said the settlers were legal and evicted for a good cause, which was to protect the environment and help fight global warming. See, they're using all the scams to steal everything, eh? But when? Nothing changes, uh, just different terms for it. The case twists around an emerging multi-billion dollar market trading carbon credits under the Kyoto Protocol. That's Mr. Rothschild who brought that one forward, of course, because it all goes through his central bank in Switzerland, his main bank, actually, the private bank, which contains mechanisms for outsourcing environmental protection to developing nations. So once again, in comes the United Nations and the Greenies, and the people lose, 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 lose. Eh? It's wonderful. The company involved New Forest Company grows forests in African countries with the purpose of selling credits from the carbon dioxide its trees soak up to polluters abroad. Isn't that wonderful? Uh, you know, you can sell them and, and heat sinks or, or, or carbon sinks, they call them. And uh, they're doing this all over the place. Big corporations are buying forests everywhere. And you this money just rolls in. They don't do anything with it. This money rolls in because, you see, it's helping clean the air across the whole planet, you see. Except Canada. Canada thought we'd have a great deal because look at all the trees we've got. 
Actually, mosquitoes are all over the place. They, they live in them. So anyway, I mean, there's billions and billions of trees. But, but then the, the UN turned around and says, yeah, but it's the wrong kind of trees. <laughs> so that's us screwed again. And, of course, your politicians keep quiet. Eh? As investors include the World Bank, you know, this wonderful saviors of the world, through its private investment arm. Do you know how it, yeah, it's got private investment arms, these wonderful big or, uh, private banks and charities. And the Hong Kong and Shanghai, Shanghai Banking Corporation, the AHBC. By the way, look into the genealogy of Mr. Cameron of Britain. You'll find things. It was his grandfather was the head of it with a different name. <laughs> anyway, 2005, the Ugandan government government granted New Forest a 50-year license to grow pine and eucalyptus forests in the three districts, and the company has applied to the United Nations to trade under the mechanism. The company expects that it could earn up to $1.8 million a year, just soaking up carbon after they kick all the folk off and burn them out. But just one problem, people were living on the land where the company wanted to plant the trees, and they didn't been there for a while. Ah, but were they registered as a nation at the United Nations, you know, like Palestine? No. No, they wouldn't do it, you see, they wouldn't do it. So anyway, I've seen uh, some video on that, and uh, uh, these guys in their green UN uniforms just going and beating up the people and cracking them. They're about six feet long poles they're stacking them, they're whacking them with. It's amazing. Just, oh. But anyway, that's the wonderful world where lovely people give lovely speeches, and it all means death to us all, you know. And... Just to show you that, that how, how bad it is, how bad it is for bureaucrats. And I've talked about public servants before, you see. And, and that's what they call themselves, bureaucrats. They're public servants, you know, upstairs, downstairs. And, and they're there to serve you, serve you. Well, here's Australia that's leading the, the whole carbon credits nonsense because uh, Julia Gillard is, is, she wants some kind of UN medal or something to go down in history. And no doubt to get a big payoff when she gets out of politics. But anyway, it says five of Australia's most senior public servants are expected to be granted pay raises, a rise, right, getting rises between 250000 each and $300,000 to bring them in line with other public service bosses and high-flying corporate executives. Well, that's only fair, isn't it, all that serving that they're doing, you know. Current salary packages for the new Chief of the Defence Forces, the Tax Commissioner, the Auditor General, the Chief of Customs and the Australian Statistician are expected to be boosted soon beyond their current 500000 Oh, how are they managing? They're only they're getting $500,000 a year to $800,000 a year each. How on earth are they scraping through in these times of austerity? These poor servants, I tell you, they've always been maligned. Uh, with recent rises granted to corporate regulators. The one-off boost to the senior pay packages of specified statutory officers comes on top of the 3% rise all five received last month as part of our General Remuneration Tribunal Review of Public Service Pay. It's interesting too, you see, Winston Churchill World War II says we'll have to copy Hitler. Hitler had all civil servants on his side. That's how he kind of really took the massive power. You see, you get the bureaucrats on your side, so you, you pay them awfully well. And then you buy them off, right? Especially the top ones. It's according to government sources, a decision is expected soon that will greatly lift the salary package of five key public servants to provide parity with other senior public service decision makers and salaries available in the corporate world. Well, you see, they're not supposed to be competing with a corporate world. They're supposed to be there to, comp- to, 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 serve, to serve the public, not service the public. For servicing is a farming term when you get shafted with animals, you see. I think that's what they call it, that. They want to serve the public. I know what that means. Anyway, 
A spokesman for the Remuneration Tribunal declined to comment but confirmed the review of the, the five public service leaders and a review of department secretary's salaries were underway. Isn't that wonderful? And the corporate regulators got a 22% pay raise for the leaders uh, just last month. I, uh, well, anyway, that's the way it goes. You see, it's just uh, all, all fair and everything. And, and we live in such a fair, decent world with decent psychopaths running us. Another article, too, is an, it's an interesting study that was done out of Swiss, uh, Switzerland, I believe it was. And um, it, it, it talks about uh, how many the, the top people who are doing investment banking swindling are, are caught occasionally. Like the last one was uh, Kweku Adoboli, uh, who came over from Kenya, I think, and he embezzled a lot of cash, but he was caught because he, he wasn't a high mason. It says, what makes individual stockbrokers uh, blow mil- billions in financial markets with criminal trading schemes? According to a new study conducted at Swiss University, it may be because share traders behave more recklessly and more manipul- they're more manipul- manipulative than psychopaths. Two weeks ago, yet another case of rogue trade uh, shocked the financial world when UBS trader Kweku Adeboli was arrested for allegedly squandering some $2.3 billion with a risky unauthorized investment scheme. 31-year-old who had been based in London for the Swiss bank remains in jail. The bank's chief executive, Oswald Grubel, meanwhile has resigned over the scandal, the third major embarrassment to rattle the institution in just a few years. Anyway... This is, it mirrors a similar scandal at French Bank Societe Generale, where another young rogue trader, uh, Jerome Kierville, uh, gambled away billions in 2010. He's still serving his three years. Three years to get for it. Probably put millions out of work. But that's okay, three years, you see. According to a new study at the University of St. Gallen, seen by uh, Spiegel, one contributing factor may be that stockbrokers' behavior is more reckless and manipulative than that of psychopaths. Researchers at the Swiss Research University measured the readiness to cooperate and the egotism of 28 professional traders who took part in computer simulations and intelligence tests. The results compared with the behavior of psychopaths exceeded the expectations of the study's co-authors, forensics expert Pascal Scherer and Thomas Knoll, a lead administrator at Porschweiss Prison north of Zurich. So they compared them with psychopaths in, in, in hospitals, really, in prison. Naturally, one can't characterize the, the, the traders as deranged, Noel told Spiegel, but for example, they behaved more egotistically and were more willing to take risks than a group of psychopaths who took the same test. Particularly shocking for Noel was the fact that the bankers weren't aiming for higher winnings than the comparison group. Instead, they were more interested in achieving a competitive advantage. Instead of taking a sober and business-like approach to reaching the highest profit, it was most important to the traders to get more than their opponents. It's like a big game to them, egos, you see, no explained. And they spent a lot of energy trying to damage their opponents because they see it like war. It's like war. And you understand, if you put a uniform on them, they're military. If you, if you put a business suit in them, it's the same characters. And they'll take the world down with them, you understand. Problem is, though, of course, they get to see the prime ministers and presidents and, are, and have drinky poos with them, and, uh, and they help to advise them. Anyway, using a metaphor to describe behavior, Noel said the stockbrokers behaved as though their neighbor had the same car, and if they took, if they took, uh, and took after it with a baseball bat so they could look better themselves. So they smash the competitor and try to defame them, destroy them, and, and that's how they get their jollies. You see? So they're sadists as well. You see? So, uh, that's one study that just lets you know what we already have always knew, I think, for those that have done any thinking at all. And, 
And then we find, too, uh, that NATO was rubber-stamped for another three months to bomb Libya. Now, here's a good article here. has to do with um, equality and diversity for for primary school, nursery, nursery schools, actually. It's, not even, it's before primary schools, and it's to do with equality and diversity. You understand, we used to get busybodies and don't do that with them, do this, that's terrible, oh, you know. And they were people who stuck their, their nose in other people's affairs. But now they're experts, you see. They, they just gave them qualifications and, and called them experts. And there's one by Ann O'Connor. Ann O'Connor is riding high on the, on the PC wave, the political correctness wave, you see. And she's teaching them for, to how to train them in nursery school and political correctness and there's a quality and diversity part eight, which is uh, a quality, part eight ability. The difficulty that a child has with being different. They're not, they're not being, they're not being taught how to handle their differences when they're two or three. You know, understand, you know? And then there's a quality and diversity part two, gender. Treating males and females as equal is not always easy. No, it's not always easy. No. And then there's equality and diversity part one introduction, teaching young children to overcome bias and challenge prejudice. It's a process, you see. And Equality and Diversity Part 3, age, uh, says early years set, settings can do much to counteract the negative. It sounds all new agey as well, eh? Equality and Diversity Part 5, race and ethnicity. Yeah? The harmful effects of bias based on a person or group's ethnicity. And, and, and on and on it goes. I'll put this link up tonight and you have a good chuckle uh, at it yourself. It's, it's, it's quite interesting. And... Um, and you'll find that uh, here's an article for, uh, about the same thing from the Telegraph. She, this same this expert you see, this busybody, is to dress witches. We you know when children playing with witches and things in pink and avoid white paper to pre- prevent racism in the nurseries. The expert says, so teachers should censor the toy box to replace witches, black cats with the pink ones, and dress fairies in darker shades, according to a consultant who's issued advice to local authorities. And it says, from the wicked witch of the West in the Wizard of Oz to Meg, the good witch from the Meg and Mog's children's books, witches have always dressed in black. But the traditional attire is now coming for criticism from equality experts. Equality. Gag, gag. This is what the children say in that age. Gag, gag, do, do, you know. They're getting taught equality. Who claim it could send a negative message to toddlers in nursery and lead to racism. Instead, teachers should censor the toy box and replace the pointy black cat with the pink one while dressing fairies generally resplendent in pale pastels and darker shades. Another staple of classroom is white paper. It's also been questioned by Anna Corner, an early years consultant who advises local authorities on equality and diversity. It says children should be provided with paper other than white to draw on and paints and crayons should come in the full range of flesh tones, reflecting the diversity of the human race according to the former teacher. By she met it. She, I mean, she's too little course, you know, on how to be PC and authoritarian. Finally, staff should be prepared to be economical with the truth. In the lie, in other words, when asked by people what their favourite colour is, and in the interests of good race relations, answer black or brown, which are the fascist colours, by the way. Eh? <laughs> the measures outlined in a series of guides in Nursery World magazine are aimed at avoiding racial bias in toddlers as young as two. According to the guides, various young children may begin to express negative and discriminatory views about skin colour and appearance that nursery staff must help them unlearn. Unlearn, eh? If children develop positive associations with dark colours, the greater the likelihood that the attitude will be generalised to people, it says. 
The device is based on an anti-bias approach to education, which developed in the U.S. as part of multiculturalism. It challenges prejudices such as racism, sexism, and ageism ageism through the whole curriculum and teaches uh, children about tolerance and respect and to be critically anal- analyze what they are taught. To be critically analyzing it two years old, eh? Taught and put, you're taught and put to think. Mrs. O'Connor, Mrs., who has worked with Newham and Tower Hamlets councils and recently d- devised a quality material for Lancashire Council's childcare service, said the approach based on an anti-bias model of education developed children's empathy and helped early years teachers to explore their own conditioning and possible prejudices. This is what they had in the Soviet Union. You used to have all, you know, if, if you had wrong think, you sent off to do the right think. You know, and once you came back and says that the Soviets is a great system, it's wonderful, and, and equality is just dandy, as you talk to your superiors who go off to get their caviar and champagne, you know, and you go back to have your crust. But anyway, this is how you teach this, this rubbish to you. Start them, start them early and totally, totally screw them up, eh? This is an, a, an incredibly complex subject that can easily become, become simplified and inaccurately portrayed, she says. No kidding. There's a tendency in education to say, here are normal people and here are different people, and we have to be kind to those different people, whether it's race, gender, ethnicity, sexual orientation, age or faith, two years old. People who are feeling defensive can say, well, there's nothing wrong with white paper, but in reality there could be, there could be if you don't see yourself reflected in the things around you. What? As early, uh, as early years teacher, the minute you start thinking, well, actually if I give everyone green paper, what happens? You've a teaching potential. They're absolutely nuts, these folk, you know. I'm not kidding you. They're nuts. They should be in loony bins. Loony bins. Not paying them to make everyone else loony. People might criticize this as political correctness gone mad, but it's because of political correctness that we have moved on enormously. Really. If you can think that we now take it for granted that our buildings and public highways are adapted so people in wheelchairs with pushchairs can move around, years ago if you were in a wheelchair, then tough luck. We've completely moved and we wouldn't have done that without the quality movement. Margaret Morrissey, a spokeswoman for the Parents Out Loud campaigning group, disagrees. She said, I'm sure these early years experts know their field. I know what field they should be in. And it should be before they go in, there should be a few bulls in there, I think, and lots of poop. Anyway, but this is, but she seemed to be obsessed about colour and determined to make everyone else obsessed about it too. Well, right on, right on, Margaret Morrissey, because that's exactly what it's all about. Screwing with your heads. Let the children be natural. Let them be natural. There's no other way for them to be. Anything, is, anything else is unnatural. You understand? Anything else is unnatural, obviously. But then again, they believe the old Pavlovian thing that it's not animals, and you can train them to be whichever way you want them to be. That's what they believe, you know. They really do. They really do, yeah. So, now there's callers on the line there, and I'll see if I can get them up here. And I think there's... Uh, it was Chris from Illinois there. Are you there, Chris? Yeah, I'm there. Yes. I just had a quick question for you. Um, you mentioned tonight uh, both banking and education. I was wondering if you could highlight the relationship of the two to the Rockefellers. Oh, well, the Rockefellers basically. You understand after they used to, they used to remember the Rockefellers with Standard Oil after they had their big incident there where they got the local militia to machine gun the tent city that was formed with the miners. And they brought in two people to give them a, a total makeover as the good guys, you know. And one of them actually became Prime Minister of Canada. That was his payoff. He said, I'll make you Prime Minister of Canada, son. 
and uh, Mackenzie King was given that job. He, he worked for it, and so was another man called Gates, uh, a relative of one of the Gates who are awfully famous now, in fact. They were PR specialists, and they did a total makeover, and one of the jobs was to cr- create the educational system, educational society, to train, just like this, this, this nut case in, in political correctness there, to train people to see things differently and they would have a better relationship with employment, etc., etc. That was all part of it. That was done at the same time uh, that they set up under the Rockefeller Foundation, as they called it. They hired thousands of guys, all specialists, to also set up the Medical Association, and that's why you still get the same slash-and-burn techniques as today. And uh, so the Rockefellers, you understand it wasn't just one Rockefeller here. This was like a, getting all the experts of the world. There's a bigger organization behind all of this. Don't think it's just one man who was doing it. The, 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 the organization predated the Rockefellers, but they put them in the States long ago for the job that they had to do, just like they sent the Rothschilds into Britain and other organizations as well across the world. The, the organization was already there to create a, a type of world for the future. And uh, it, would have a, it would be fascist in reality, but it would have a, a, a good camouflage of being a, a democratic and, um, and, and even left-wing. And, of course, that's what Quigley said, too, that the Council on Foreign Relations was, always, was often mistaken for communism. And if the CFR, believe you me, the members in are anything but poor little working people, uh, they're awfully stinking rich, in fact, from the best elite families. So uh, the, the, the educational system uh, w- was set up to standardize the minds of everyone, standardized everything. Understand, to take total control of anything, you must standardize it. It doesn't matter if it's money system, taxation systems, uh, whatever, it's going to be standardized. And you see today working better than ever before because now you can standardize all political doctrine in the school and all new reality in the school as you redo reality and redo history. And everyone gets it at the same time. So once they come out of school, you can meet guys from across the world getting the same indoctrination and you can talk the same language because you've all had the same uh, falsification that you've taken for granted as reality. So that, that's what education's for. It's not to help you to go out into the world and make um, a go of it for yourself and survive. Actually, uh, education today especially is, is meant to foster interdependence again on the whole system. That's completely different from the sharks that are taken aside by daddy, who's very, very rich, and told he's going to be a magnet one day. He gets a totally different education from the working people, you understand? It's interesting. I have a 12-year-old daughter, and she brought home her social studies book, and I flipped through it, and chapter 12 was, uh, the entire chapter was devoted to the Rockefellers. Yes. Um, And it told the whole you know, story, their version of their story. Mm-hmm. It was interesting to see that that was in, and I hadn't seen anything like that when I went to school, you know. You yeah. see certain things, but nothing that came out and devoted that much time to a specific family, and, and, and the things that they said about them was really telling. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, literally the guys, uh, they, they were robber barons, you understand. They were part of a, a big club that was sent across the world, robber barons, it's just like the Rothschilds. Rothschilds themselves didn't just go into five countries and take it over with five sons. There was a massive organization around them. There was armies of guys that they would stand, that were um, like, like um, bodyguards. Uh, they had international trading corporations that had spies across the whole planet. 
that predated the Rothschilds, and, the, and Rothschilds is only one faction of it. And the same in the U.S., they put the Robert Barnes in there too. And then eventually they became well-known, some of them. Other ones are still there uh, who are actually bigger than Rockefeller, but they're quieter to keep them out of the limelight. So just, so, like, like, just like the presidents, the Rockefellers and the Rothschilds are frontmen. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, because, yeah, one man didn't come up and say, I'm going to be a, a nice guy after killing all those miners and machine gunning them down in their tents. No, no, it was a total makeover by the organization that ran him and defended him and kept him uh, from going to jail because, I mean, he, he and his gangs of mercenaries, just like the Bronfmans, basically, uh, but they, they went around and anyone finding oil anywhere, uh, they would steal it, uh, threaten them to, if they wouldn't sell it to them for, for peanuts, or they'd, they'd just set fire to it, and then they'd grab it afterwards. I mean, they, they were literally ruthless criminals, basically. Yeah. It's interesting you mentioned Gates, too, because on NBC they've had this education nation in this morning uh, on the Today Show, Melinda Gates was on with Tom Brokaw discussing education. Yeah. Well, you've got to standardize everything in this world. The whole world is standardized now into the global system. We have to talk the same nonsense as someone from another country to make us think we're all sane as we're talking nonsense and indoctrinated dribble to each other. But it's meant to, to take away your own ability for self-preservation and self-think, self-thought. That's what it is. But thanks for calling. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada. And remember, buy the books and discs because things are bad right now. It's good night and may your God or your gods go with you.